Welcome to the Replay Value Podcast, where we deep dive into the movies we all love to watch over and over again. I'm Phil, joined by my brother from the same mother, our co-host on the West Coast, Warren. What's up, bro? In this episode, we're going to talk about the sports comedy cult classic, The Sandlot. Part of this film, in the summer of 1962, a new kid in town is taken under the wing of a young baseball prodigy and his rowdy neighborhood team, leading to many memorable adventures. Growing up, this was one of those movies. I remember we summers uh, in our formative years, uh, we would go over to our, our grandma's house and we would just, there was movies that we would just watch over and over and over again. Uh, a couple that come to mind, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was a big one and another was the sandlot you and i i can't it's it's uncountable how many times we have seen this film it made us want to play baseball we did play baseball probably because of this movie it's it's such an inspiration to our childhood we were playing baseball together when it came out man not only just around the neighborhood with other kids which this movie it led to god knows how many kids doing after the fact that already weren't doing it uh and uh, we played in organized leagues together i mean and this movie was on that short list like you said ferris bueller back the future mrs doubtfire league of their own movies we watched in our childhood over and over and over again if you remember when we moved to louisiana we played neighborhood baseball with all the kids we actually had a local sandlot in a sense of, of kids that we grew up and played baseball with in our neighborhood but and, and, and this movie had to have had something to do with that <laughs> yeah i mean we, we played baseball we enjoyed it but this like elevated that love uh because of how many times we'd seen it like oh you know sandlot games and like you know what you felt like um I, what, what you felt like the game could be as far as the love of it I mean, this movie was made for us. I mean, we were around the age of the kids in the movie when it came out. So it's a special movie to both of us. A special movie to us. And, and, and I would say part of that is that the story itself, where it came from, it was, you know, it, it was inspired by real life. This is not something that some Hollywood screenwriter just mocked up. This came from someone's own experience of playing baseball growing up. Well, it was co-writer and director David Mickey Evans' brother, uh, his younger brother. He saw that uh, older boys wouldn't let his brother play baseball with him. And then when they lost a ball over a brick wall, his younger brother thought he could get on their good side if he retrieved it. So he jumped over the fence, and when he did, there was a big dog waiting for him named Hercules, and he was bit pretty bad by him. So that that's that that's the inspiration for the film right there. Yeah, I mean, these kids, they didn't want to play with them, and they were actually – and some of bullies and, and picked on they were they were if anything if you were to make a movie about what really happened they would be the antagonists um and so i did find it funny though like you mentioned that the the, the dog from real life was also named hercules and they they pulled from that so i mean he got bit they laughed at him so it's played out like how real life would not with some epic chase <laughs> through salt lake City. well they in the movie they don't laugh at him for getting bit they laugh at him uh, especially at the beginning when he when he first starts smallest first starts playing baseball with him i mean they literally fall over and laugh at him which is just oh my heart breaks for me because there's nothing worse as a kid than getting humiliated i mean that oh, you, yeah. you'd rather die i mean as a parent and seeing that happen i mean just like you would you want, don't want it to happen to you but i mean seeing it to happen to you just imagine one of your kids but but that's the thing though is that you know if you were to stop the movie right there that is closer to real life where they were the bullies they were the antagonists but the screenwriter, David Mickey Evans, he took that story and said, kind of let go of the negativity and said, let's make this something positive. And those same kids that were bullies in real life, 
they became his friends and the protagonists, uh, the good guys, if you will, uh, in, in The Sandlot. Along with Benny, yeah. Well, that has to have something to do with the collaboration. He co-wrote the script with Robert Gunter. This was David Mickey Evans' first directing credit. He was uncredited on a Radio Flyer uh, as the director. Yeah, he also wrote the script from Radio Flyer. And, I, and you, know, you and I are very familiar with that movie. Our, yet another one our dad introduced us to. We loved it. It's it's not really well known. It's not it's not a cult classic. I wouldn't. Most people don't even remember it. I would say. But if you get a chance to to go back and watch it, it's a little bit darker than the Sandlot, but got a good story to it. It's a gem. Uh, but yeah. So this, yeah. coming into this film, you know, he this was the first I'd say big shot that he had. So uh, he had that. The, the co-writing credit, but he did also get to direct it. So uh, the, the fact that he was able to get it made is, is kind of kind of crazy. A lot of people got their first opportunities on this film. And uh, this ended up being, I mean, no doubt, the most successful film that he has made so far in his career, uh, being his directorial debut. Uh, but he did go on to make some, uh, some, some, some big movies. The first kid was a big film. Uh, he directed mm-hmm. that. Uh, I think what was that was Sinbad, uh, even, uh, maybe Sinbad, Katie yeah, Holmes where he's a president. Uh, yeah. The president's yeah. kid. Yeah. Uh, Beethoven's third and fourth. It's the, the, the shitty Beethoven sequels. They replaced Charles Grodin with Judge Reinhold. Uh, it, <laughs> <laughs> not, not great. And uh and then he directed I couldn't believe this. He directed Sandlot 2. I could not believe he did that. Yeah. Yeah. Came back to do do that. It was direct to video, but he did it. Um yeah. So well I think part of it is like you know he he came into this and he when he pitched this the script it wasn't called The Sandlot. It was originally called The Boys of Summer. That was the working title. And and if you look at the script, I mean, yes, it's a cult classic. It's a it's a it's a look back fondly now but if you just cut away of all the nostalgia that it hits a lot of similar beats to sports movies i mean that's it's like candy really to hollywood does, yeah. to making like to, to making a film so i can see why he got the opportunity to for it to get made can't uh, believe we didn't get a beach boy song you got boys of summer uh <laughs> boys, taking so, place yeah. in the 60s we're not getting some they probably didn't boys. have Come the on. budget for it let's be honest yeah <laughs> you know? yeah because i mean uh, production it was only six weeks 42 days pretty short production for a film uh back then i mean uh, especially a studio picture i mean they typically went a lot longer three four months generally uh and even in, in, like you said they were saving some coin the movie's based in the san fernando valley but they shot it in salt lake city utah and the reason why they shot it there they couldn't afford la and salt lake city is the only other place in the united states probably in the world that resembles the San Fernando Valley Basin, where you're surrounded by the Pink Mountains. So that's how they were. And when you see it, it, it the only way, I, I, when I see the establishing shots, I'm, you don't see any palm trees, and that's how I, it doesn't quite feel like ah, L.A., but uh, mm. the, the mountains really help sell it. Yeah, when I watch it, I, you, you, you get the impression that it is in California, but um, yeah, Salt Lake City, most of it, I think all of it shot there. Um, and it was, despite being in, 42 days the shoot it was difficult in some regards i mean they had you think about you know which i know we'll get to later uh when they're doing the chase through all those different locations i mean there were days when they were shooting when it was very very hot outside and you got these kid actors that are trying to deal with that in addition to your regular cast and crew well it was it was crazy as it was really hot like over 100 degrees on some days uh or most days but then when they were the the one the, the time where they were shooting the pool scene it was freezing so yeah. go figure the one day you you you, you know where it would have maybe uh you, you of all the days you want to be hot where so you're at the pool it, it wasn't it was the opposite 
So it definitely struggled with the temperatures. Yeah. You can even see in the movie, the actor who plays Squints, his teeth are chattering because he's cold. And I remember seeing that as a kid, and I just kind of chalked it up to, well, well you know, there, there'd be times where I would be in the pool, and it, I would No, nah, but you almost think cold. he's nervous because of what he's plotting that's in true retrospect. That's true, too. Yeah. yeah, you're like, because he's really, man, that's quite a uh, <laughs> quite a kiss high steep. He playing some pulls off. So, I mean, there were temperature challenges as far as with the weather, and you also had um, uh, dealing with dogs. I mean, they had four English Mastiffs, these huge dogs that are really kind of lazy dogs. I mean, they just want to lay around. So getting them to run and do the chases. I mean, so you're trying to do a, a, a short shoot, all things considered with ch- children and animals. I, so I, the fact they were to pull this off is kind of, kind of nuts. That's why they had to slow the frame rate a lot on the chase to make, oh. the, cause the dog <laughs> wasn't good. going that fast to kind of help sell the, uh, the, the, yeah, the, uh, the, the tension of the situation, make it more exciting. Put them on a wire rig system to float them <laughs> over the over the wall or something. Yeah, and Benny Rodriguez outrun a mast. No problem, man. Done. Yeah. Um, you know, and the kids, uh, it was said after the movie wrap that they, uh, all the kids uh, stuck into a theater nearby to see Basic Instinct. So, you know, a couple, uh, just a bunch of, uh, you know, adolescent kids, boys being boys and uh, doing some stupid shit. I mean, it, <laughs> just like their characters. It's something, it's something that their characters in the movie would do. The director, they should have had him do that beforehand to kind of get them to bond and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, typical, you'd expect a boys to sneak into a theater to do that. Well, there's a rumors, not it could be apocryphal, that uh, the kids were bribed with a playboy uh, to get them to behave on set. Oh, I, I think that's apocryphal. Yeah, I doubt that. Yeah. yeah. Rumors. Yeah. One thing got to point out, the Sandlot references a lot of classic films. I'm just going to point a few out. Uh, Bambi. Uh, you know, when Smalls tries to cover his ass about, oh, the, ba- yeah, about the yeah, 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 the yeah, 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 uh, the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, the Benny face off with the beast, uh, how they cut back and forth with the music, uh, cool hand Luke, a lot of the dialogue at the pool between the guys. I mean, it's, it's lifted straight out of cool hand Luke, uh, yeah. the natural when, uh, when he, you know, hits the uh, cover off the ball, of course, right. Field of Dreams, you know, you got uh, Art LaFour as uh, Babe Ruth, uh, you know, a, a baseball ghost. I mean, that is a, a straight reference to Field of Dreams. That's why they had him in sure. the movie. And uh, A League of Their Own. Uh, and and they're, they're Killing Me Out There is is uh, uh, inspiration uh, to the great line from this film, they're kill- You're Killing Me Smalls. But it came from A League of Their Own, They're Killing Me Out There. So uh, oh. a lot of great references uh, in this movie. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't even I didn't even put that together, but because I mean, League of Their Own was like maybe what, a year prior it was ninety two, I think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and another thing you see too is like how they cut the how exactly how they edit the baseball scenes in this movie is how they were edited in a League of Their Own. Like you'll get just a rundown shot, cross cuts of all the batters lined up, and then you'll get cross cuts of all the balls getting knocked into the play. I mean, it's it's the the, the baseball in action sequences are literally directed the same way. Yeah, the the, the, the scene where they're playing the prep kids is very yeah. very reminiscent of League of Their Own. Very much. Yeah, that's a good good point. I didn't think of that. And I don't blame the director for doing that. I mean, you want to copy the greats. Uh, what works, <laughs> yeah. It works, yeah. Talking about the music of the Sandlot, uh, most of it is uh, pop culture. I mean, to, to kind of set the tone of uh, the era and put it in that time period. One of my favorite ones is really when it sets into the 60s and you hear the music and you are just, it just puts you right in the film. I love how it, it does that uh, early on. Uh, but if I have to point one out, and again, I don't want to step on, mention too many and step on our uh, best scenes, but I am going to, I'm going to mention this one because 
it's just a beautiful moment. It's uh, when you hear Ray Charles' America the Beautiful as it plays over the fireworks. Yeah, the Fourth the of July of- sequence. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and again, sorry if stepping on scenes, uh, but that is just such a beautiful song. That's so great. I had to throw that one out there. And the, 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 the choices of music. It captures the zeitgeist of that time. It really feels exactly. a song of that time. And you, you, you just feel like you're uh, right there with him in the summer of 62. It's fucking great. Music can do a great job of setting a period piece and setting a time if it's done properly, and this movie does it masterfully. We'll move on to the stars of the picture. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. And we'll start at the top of the call sheet with Tom Guyrie as Scotty Smalls, his first feature film, second acting credit. Talk about uh, you know the director getting an opportunity. Man, he uh, kept it going, giving a, you know, a, a young and unproven actor uh, such a, a pivotal part in his film. You have to kind of look at the situation as this, is that, you know, pretty much any actor coming into this film, they got the opportunity of a lifetime. They may not have known it then. No one did. Uh, but, I mean, all, all of them were coming in as fairly unknown. But, man, that Smalls role is just oh, he's, he was so so well cast. Uh, and uh, Tom Geary, he did uh, go on to have – he's still working today. I mean, he works a lot, lot of TV and film credits – not a n- nothing huge jumps out. I think the biggest one he has is the Black Donnellys, a show from about a decade ago that was. Are you fucking kid, dude? He was in Black Hawk Down. He was in The Revenant. He was in Mystic River. He was in Tigerland. I mean, they weren't lead roles, but these are big films that he had roles in. Uh, oh, most yeah, recently, yeah. No. Wonder Wheel in 2017. Well, I'm I'm just I'm nothing no not, nothing against the films that he was in. I was saying, you know, he never had like. I mean, this is the closest you're going to get to a lead role here. He's never. I was saying, as far as he is, he's he's more of a working actor, uh, but not yeah. not so much. The, sure, the, but I mean, most actors, uh, man, you're lucky to ever get one of these that he, he was a lead in a film that hit the zeitgeist bullseye that'll be remembered forever. I mean, uh, most actors never even get that. So, uh, man, uh, he did great with it, though. He earned it, and uh, you know, it, the, he has such a great consistency with the behaviors of Smalls. Uh, it, it's so believable, so relatable, and uh, you, you empathize with the character, and uh, that's that's why he makes such a great. Uh, you know, more or less, you live through him through most of the film. I mean, it's from his perspective. Yeah, his perspective. He's the adult version of him is is narrating, and I thought this until I did research for this film. I thought that the adult. Uh, Smalls, the actor playing him, Arliss Howard, was the narrator uh, of the entire film. Uh, but actually, no, he is not the narrator. He he was originally going to narrate, but he had too much of a southern drawl in his voice. And the young Smalls has more of like a Jersey accent, uh, so it didn't didn't mesh well when they went to to edit the film and to do the voiceover work. Uh, so he, it is not him narrating, even despite him being on screen. Because you hear it and the voice kind of sounds the same, but the the narrator is none other than the writer director David Mickey Evans, which I could yeah. not believe that. It has a Wonder Years vibe for sure. Like the way he narrates it, 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 it makes me think of Wonder Years. Yeah, they even did so much so like that. Him and the editor were working on the voiceover stuff, felt it wasn't working with the Southern drawl, and so when they made the decision for. David Mickey Evans to do it, they actually had to modulate the pitch of his voice slightly higher so that he sounded like Arliss Howard, because you do hear Arliss Howard near the end of the film when he's calling the game that the older, older Benny is in. So this, 
I never picked up on that though. Yeah, the Jets steals home. The Jets steal, and like his dance and the way it's kind of like classic how he does. Like the the movements are very like classic movie uh, blocking how he how executes that scene. It's oh yeah, uh, he's a but, great actor. Arliss Howard is. I mean, n- nothing against him. Just it just the it just didn't match the the younger version. Just yeah. his his physicality in that uh, scene is really great. Um, we'll move on to Mike Vitar as Benjamin Franklin, the Jet Rodriguez. Uh, yes. Third feature film. And I mean, this is the neighborhood legend, the leader of the kids. Uh, one of the hardest roles to cast in the movie because you're essentially casting uh, a Tom Cruise teenager. You, you need a, <laughs> yeah, a, a right, lead, yeah. leading man uh, who is still a kid. And that is that's really, really hard to find. And somehow Mike Vitar encapsulates that. It's crazy. Yeah. So they talked about when they were casting the film, uh, David Mickey Evans uh, and the casting director that, you know, Every kid that comes in, you you want to cast them. You can feel like you can find a spot in the, in the film. And most of them, they were able to like, oh, that's your, yeah, yeah, that's your Bertram. Let's move these around here. That's who the fit is. Or, eh, you know, how, how are we going to make this work? You know, what's, you're just, you're picking out of a lot of great things. But with Mike Vitar, as soon as he walked in the room, they knew that they had their Benny Rodriguez as far as his charisma, uh, how he just filled up the room with his energy he was probably, I would say, the only one that was a lock as soon as he was doing his audition. Yeah, uh, the director said of all the thousands of kids he saw, he was the very first kid that he saw. So it's kind of meant to be. Wow. Huh. And I almost wanted to give Mike Vitar the MVP because I feel like it's that crucial of a casting, oh, but so- I, I ultimately couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm very surprised. I thought you were going to give it to no, him. I can't, wow. can't give it to okay. him. Okay, so it comes down to me. Between Patrick Renna Ham and Chauncey Laparty. It's between those two. Yeah, Ham and Squints. Those are the two that are in the running. They, they, those two literally steal the movie or almost run away with it. Both of them are uh, kind of duking it out hand in hand in some scenes. Um, I'm going to give the MVP to Chauncey a Squints. I, uh, I, I got to okay. give it to Squints. Got to. Um, okay. uh, he's got the magic. There's something about the way he plays the character. Uh, very likable, very funny. And you can tell the director favored him as an actor because he tends to speak for a lot of the kids in most of the scenes. It's him and Patrick Renna, of all the other kids, that, that, that are fed the most lines to, yeah. to fill in. A lot of the kids don't have a lot of lines at all. They really don't. Yeah, just a few here and there. I mean, but as far as you know, having the most, the, the most quotable lines and being the most iconic, uh, of the kids that you know those characters that you think back when you when you remember the sandlot it is ham and squints and i would say probably the the uh, their relationship in the scene with the windy peppercorn at the pool mm-hmm. that's gonna that's got to be the one that put it over the top for envy that puts so it over because he has the, he has one of the best scenes and arguably the most memorable it's him leading the scene so yeah. it, that alone gives him the nod because i can't say patrick as great as he is in the film he doesn't have a scene quite like Squince does. I agree. Great choice. Fantastic. Wasn't easy. A lot of great performances in the film. This wasn't Chauncey's first film, though. He, he was in Father of the Bride, the Steve Martin star vehicle, just a couple years earlier. And uh, after this, uh, he did Casper. It's a pretty big mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Uh, big Green with Patrick Renna. Uh, and That's most right, recently, yeah. he, he starred in... Uh, 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 and Patrick Renna was the star of that film. And uh, most recently, he he, he starred in uh, an Eminem video back in 2019. 
Oh, no shit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't find that in his credits. That's good. <laughs> Patrick Renna as Hamilton Ham Porter. His first movie, second credit, much like Tom uh, Guyry. I'm uh, getting an opportunity here. And despite the fact that he worked and continued to work, he's most known for this role. This is his, and like most people in this film, it, it, and a lot of the films we do, it tends to, they're stamped in the lexicon. So it, it, a lot of the movies we do. So it, it, it makes sense. A lot of these actors, this is, it's, it's what they're most known for. Well, with the Chauncey Leopardi, I could see you could kind of grow out of the squints look and you could go on and you might see him in something and not realize it's him. But with Patrick Renna, I mean, that's his, his face looks the same now as it did when he was in the Sandlot. So every time I see him in something, I'm just like, Oh, hey, it's him from Sandlot. I mean, it's it's tough. It's impossible. Yeah, you know, but when Chauncey, they have the anniversaries. Chauncey goes to him, and I've seen him, uh, and he actually will wear the glasses, and he actually looks like, like a grown-up squint. He does it well, to make with the, the glasses. day. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying with the glasses. He does that on purpose, though, because he actually does look like a grown-up squint. <laughs> like, it's, it's pretty great. <laughs> Real quick, where are they now as far as the, the, the kids in the Sandlot group? Uh, most of them... Didn't do much acting after this. Maybe a credit here and there. Didn't do a whole lot. Uh, of the ones that did, uh, Tom Geary, who we talked about earlier, you know, still working actor. Uh, Mike Vitar, he did uh, D2 and D3, the Mighty Ducks films. But then he retired from acting. He, he stepped away from it. Um, He's a firefighter, uh, a Los Angeles firefighter. And I think he had an incident back in, uh, on Halloween in 2015 uh, where he was uh, charged with assault. I mean, I'm sure people can read about it if they want to. Uh, but uh, so he he was in the that was in the news. He was in the news as recently as a few years ago. Uh, Patrick Renna, who we mentioned, uh, still acting uh, mainly a TV character actor, just kind of pops in for one or two spot, a few episodes. He was in Boston Legal, CSI, most recently in Glow a couple years ago, and then uh, Chauncey Leopardi. He is. Done quite a bit. Uh, he had arcs in Gilmore Girls as well as Freaks and Geeks. So he's still out there and about as well. Art LaFleur as The Babe, his 27th movie. Bunch of movies, bunch of TV. Uh, one of those faces where you know his face, don't necessarily know his name. In most instances, he's just been in that much stuff. And we mentioned this before. He was in Field of Dreams, which is why he was casted in this. Uh, it's just perfect casting, playing the baseball ghost. It's it's it's, it's a reference to a, a classic baseball movie that had just come out just a handful of years earlier. And he's, uh, I would say, most known for uh, Sandlot uh, because it he's in Field of Dreams, but it plays on him being Field of Dreams in Sandlot, and that really stands out. So, uh, again, another actor where they're most known for this movie. Well, this and the Blob remake. Uh, that, that <laughs> oh, the Blob thing. remake. No, everybody knows remake, him. Yeah. He's the babe. Come on. He's known for this. Uh, no, John Goodman is the fucking babe. That is my that is my babe, Ruth. You well, back the fuck off. No, no, no. I'm just saying he, because he played, he portrayed the babe. That's why people know him. Probably the biggest star in the movie, James Earl Jones uh, as Mr. Myrtle. Fucking legend, man. Darth Vader, legend. Mufasa. Uh, also, Field of Dreams, uh, coincidentally enough. Yeah. Worked wow. on the movie for one day. Wow. One day. But he brought the necessary gravitas needed. And the... the you have to have the right actor for this type of character this late in your movie to resolve all the thing, everything that's been leading to this this moment. You you need the right actor, and man. He he's he just brings it. Probably we talked about it, all the actors are known for this movie. He's probably the only actor in this movie where he's not most known for the same lot. It's probably the <laughs> least thing he's known for. That, yeah, that's how that's great funny. Uh, James Earl Jones is. That speaks to his greatness. I mean, yeah, of course he's 
most known for coming to America. I mean, easy. Well, easy. no, Karen Allen's most known for Indiana Jones, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, we have that, that's fair too. Yeah. But I mean, she's also only credited as mom in this film. So, I mean. And that'll take us to the guest stars of the film, uh, along with Dennis Leary as Bill, the stepdad. He nails it, man. Just the perfect amount of I care, but I don't care. <laughs> that's a great way to say it. Yeah. It's like, you're like, you just kind of, you kind of like, you're like, is he an asshole? Like you kind of don't really know. I nah, mean, he's like most guy, most most men uh, probably back in that time period. I mean, you know, uh, uh, he, he does a great job in nailing the stepdad uh, in the fifties, sixties. Uh, perfect. Um, Marley Shelton as Wendy Peppercorn. Got to mention her. Uh, yeah. Did such a great job in the film, uh, and, and the, the role was quite memorable. Even though it's she's only in what two, maybe three scenes. Yeah, not many. Yeah, just a couple. Just you know, they see her early, and then they pretty they go to the pool pretty much straight after that, and that's about it. So, uh, but that was enough to I would say become one of the, uh, the 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 movie childhood movie crushes of many a young boy, including myself. I mean, everyone and just the name too, Wendy Peffercorn. I mean, it's so memorable. Mm-hmm. Everyone, I mean. Yeah, it's just so so nostalgic just hearing the name. She kept working. She was in uh, she was in the uh, the uh, Grindhouse uh, double mm-hmm. feature uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino. So she's been uh, she's had a, a very illustrious career since the film came out. Absolutely, yeah, very talented actress. And the one kid that did keep on working, you have to mention, he plays one of the lesser starring kids in the film is Brandon Quentin Adams. Uh, he is still working. He he started D two with uh, Vitar, but uh, he most recently was in a film called The Resort earlier this year. So uh, a lot of talented actors in the film, cast it early, and uh, have have kept on working. One last one that I'll mention: Pablo Vitar played the older Benny Rodriguez when you know, he's a professional player for the Dodgers. When I watch this film, I'm like, man, they did a great job recasting that. It looks just yeah, like that too. the young yeah. Benny. Well, it's his older brother, so they do. that's yeah, why they did sense. such a great job. That's great. Yeah. Well, he's more or less an extra. I mean, they probably yeah. gave him a credit, but he, he's an extra. He, he is credited, like think Pablo V. Vitar or something like that. But yeah, he's credited. All right, we'll move on to the stats and accolades of The Sandlot. Release date was April 9th, 1993. Not exactly a de- desirable window for movie releases. I figured this one would have come later in the summer, but who knows? Uh, who, who knows the reasons for that? Uh, on a budget of only seven million dollars, uh, pretty pretty modest, and maybe that's why it wasn't pushed as much. Um, opening weekend was only four point nine million, which even back in nineteen ninety three standards was pretty low. And in seventeen hundred screens, give or take, it, it eked into second place behind Indecent Proposal. Do you want to throw out that number five that week? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. So, <laughs> not, the, mm, yeah. not the best showing. Not the best showing. Yeah, no, I got to go Secret of the Ooze and the, well, the first Ninja Turtles is pretty solid. Oh, yeah, this one was, a, oh, yeah. the, the third was a step down. Huge I don't even remember the third one. Yeah, it, yeah, it was like the Samurai uh, one, you know. I, 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 when you say Ninja Turtles 3, I think of the video game back then, <laughs> not the movie. Manhattan Project, Turtles in yeah. Time? No, Turtles in no, Time. No, Ma- Manhattan the, Project was, was 3. Four. 4 was Turtles in Time, yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay, copy that. Yeah. Domestically, it would go on to make $32.4 million, uh, and th- there was a 2018 25th anniversary re-release where it, it was like only a 400 screens, I think. It made another extra uh, 516000 uh, and then uh, overseas and re-releases, it's made like another million. So overall, I think it's it's pulled in about 34 million worldwide, uh, give or take, uh, in, in its entire run since its original release. Finishing 49th for the year at the box office, shockingly low. Could not believe that. 
this is a film that that, that grew over cable and home yes. release. It, yeah, it did because this was not a hit in the box office. I mean, it made, it made, made its made its money, but um, I mean, rookie of the year finished twenty second, and uh, I know which side I'm on. Okay, it's the Sandlot. Uh, I love Rookie of the Year is a good movie, but it's not on the level with Sandlot. Sorry. Well, it's so funny because it, it, it felt like a retread or just like it was trying to cash in on the kids playing baseball aspect. You know, kind of what we talked mm-hmm. about earlier when the story, there's nothing real, you know. It, Angels in the things, outfield. They fucking yeah, made a few so, of those. Yeah. So there, there was very much a, a thirst for that in, in Hollywood. And this felt at the time like it was a lesser than to some of the bigger hits. But in hindsight, obviously, this one has stood the test of time. Home Media, 1993, was released on uh, VHS in the uh, slipcase. I don't know if you remember those. Those uh, those were fancy VHS releases. Oh. And, uh, and Laserdisc, uh, 2002, was his DVD debut. They released a 20th anniversary DVD in 2013 and a 25th anniversary DVD in 2018. I would say that's probably why I got the theatrical push then as well, you know. For the 25th, yeah. Anyway, they could cash in, right? Uh, running time of an hour and 41 minutes. 101 minutes, no fat. This is a lean New York strip steak, man. This is a this is a, not a ribeye. There, there is a, this. Every scene works, and every scene is necessary. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it, it flies by. It's tough to, for for me to get my my kids to watch a non animated, you know, with a Pixar character film in there. Um, but I put this on, and for the most part, I, it it captured their attention. Of course, they you know they love the dog in the film, but I mean, this is, it's an entertaining movie and it keeps moving. Yeah. Scores of the film, Rotten Tomatoes, 63%, Cinema Score B+, and a Metacritic of 55. Uh, audiences loved it. Rotten Tomatoes at 63. Man, that's low. Wow. That's shocking. Uh, again, I think the initial response isn't, wasn't this movie's finest hour. What what made this movie what it is today is its reception, word of mouth, home video, cable, uh, and like a fine wine, it's aged over time. Uh, but it wasn't not like a lot of films we do where it was a fucking blockbuster, uh, where critics loved it, audiences loved it right out of the gate. That wasn't the case. It, it, it had a mixed reception with critics. The, the critical consensus is that it was just a nostalgic, uh, fun fair, shallow, n- not a lot of depth. Uh, Ebert gave it three out of four stars. He more or less said it, you know, it seduced him by uh, reminding him what mattered most when you were 12 years old. And I, mm. I it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's true. Because so many scenes represent things, you know, when you're growing up, you can relate with. Whether it's, you know, getting hit in the face with a baseball, like, you know, maybe you're, <laughs> every boy that's played baseball has been hit in the face with a, either a younger, either your dad or, a, 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 you know, an older cousin throwing with you. They, they threw it too hard and hit you. Everybody's been through that. And there's just so many relatable scenes like that uh, in the movie. Oh, yeah. I got a black eye from for getting hit in the face with the baseball. It happens. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the thing. Yeah, is, I've been hit too, yeah. E- Ebert recognized that even though it was a retread of some familiar ideas, they did capture the magic, the essence of that time period of being yeah. aged. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, even how they run, like, the covert operation to get the ball over the fence with the <laughs> gear. And, 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 and the, like, every uh, group of boys runs covert operations, or uh, kids, for that matter. I mean, you know, you, 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 like, plot out little things together and, you you know, synchronize watches or whatever and, 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 and try to have, like, a, yeah, you know. you and covert, I never did anything like that when our parents were out of town yeah, and we right. were with the babysitter. Yeah. Never. No. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. No, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. No. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awards of the film one nomination and ultimate win uh, a young artist award for outstanding youth ensemble Mm. that is it no other awards no nominations
Grammy Record of the Year and actually the Hot Billboard Hot 100 top song for 1993. It was a double crown, a massive hit, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, a song that needs no explanation or introduction. It, it, it's an all-time classic. The movies in 1993, top of the box office, number one, Jurassic Park, number two, Mrs. Doubtfire, and number three, The Fugitive, all three of which we have covered on the pod. Uh, number four, The Firm, and number five, Sleepless in Seattle. So a lot of, a lot of big hits. Yeah, I don't know if we'll be getting those, to those last two. The Firm, really? Uh, the Firm, man. Are you kidding? I used to be a huge John Grisham fan, and that might be the best John Grisham movie. No, it, it has to be. The Firm is The Firm is great. Firm is great. Gene Hackman, dude. Gene Hackman is so good in that movie. It's to be fair, Sleepless in Seattle is also very good. So, but yeah, yeah it's like the uh, Mount Rushmore rom-coms. Come on, man. Yeah, you're right. Maybe we'll get to them. Remember, we ended up getting like three more of those. We had like uh, we got mail and all that other bullshit. <laughs> You've got mail. How dare you? Oh yeah, excuse me. Oscar Best Picture winner Schindler's List. Razzie Worst Picture winner Indecent Proposal. Really? Was it really that bad? <laughs> yeah. Robert Redford, Demi Moore. Woody Harrelson? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Was it? I, I don't. I mean, I never saw it, but I just with those three names, I find it hard to believe they fucked it up. TV shows in 1993, top scripted Nielsen-rated shows. Number one, Home Improvement. Number two, Seinfeld. And number three, Roseanne. Now, The Connors. Emmy Best Comedy Series winner, Frasier in its first season, the uh, Cheer spinoff. And Emmy Best Drama Series winner, Picket Fences for a two-peat. Uh, movie ticket prices in 1993 were $4.14 on average. Wow. Events in 1993, the first Beanie Babies were launched in the U.S. The oh, World wow. Wide Web was born at CERN. The Waco siege ends in a deadly fire. The Brady Bill is signed into law. And Bill Clinton is inaugurated as the 42nd President of the United States. And we'll move on to our best scenes and lines from the Sandlot. Uh, it is... a all-time classic, uh, as we've mentioned, and there are a lot of all-time classic scenes. Let's start with your runner-up, Warren. This is one of the hardest episodes. We've covered a lot of films at this point. It's one of the hardest episodes in narrowing down scenes because almost every scene is worthy of being mentioned. That's why it has such a lean run. Yeah, how do you rank them above the others? Yeah. I mean, it's so tough because, I mean, these scenes are defining, you know, childhood memory scenes. So it's uh, yeah. very relatable, very tough. Um, my runner-up, it's... The second time that Smalls comes out to the Sandlot to join the team, but he makes nine, you know, it, but he's, he's got a better hat now, you know, uh, Benny gave him the glove and he joins the Sandlot. He, he, it, it looks really bad at first, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> looks like it's going to go the way it did the first time. Uh, but, uh, you know, he runs the ball in instead of trying to throw it this time. And then Benny has to go out and give him the coaching. You ever have a paper out? I helped the guy once. Okay. Well, tuck it like you would throw a paper. When your arm gets here, just let go. Just let go. It's that easy. How do I catch it? Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. Gives him the coaching, and then he miraculously catches the ball. That just speaks to how great a ball player Benny is, because he fucking hits it right to him, where he doesn't right have to, the to glove, run or yeah. do anything. Yeah, 
And he's like, don't, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Remember, he tells him that. And that's why he just hits it to him. But then he miraculously, remember, he somehow throws it into the infield. Like, where's this guy been? Uh, and they're like, oh, all right. It's, it's a movie. A little hard to believe he would just fall into line that quickly. But uh, you buy it. You want, you're, we're rooting for Smalls. We want him to be a part of the team. And uh, they finally, it, it's, it's a quick moment of acceptance. But we know at that point he's on the team. He's in. Yeah, no, that's a, I, I, it's a great choice for a runner-up. I mean, it even ends, like, remember when he runs home? He's like, Mom, Mom, guess what? It's so awesome. They, like, leave that little sound in there where you hear that. Because, man, we all did that growing up where we ran home. And we're like, Mom, Mom, Dad, guess what? Like, it's awesome. Fucking love that scene. Had it as an honorable mention, but, I mean, hearing you describe it as um – it, it, it's it's very emotional and you know you you have that win with smalls it's it's great to watch um I, I will say though that every little league coach has that ability that benny portray where he can just all right here's a ball boom and just knock it anywhere they want to it's i, I don't get it i don't know how they do it but they can um my runner-up and i honestly thought we were going to match up on this is the uh, the scene at the pool with the kids, uh, specifically where Squints <laughs> makes his move. This magic moment. <laughs> Little pervert! Oh, man, he's a deep shit. Very memorable. Uh, classic. Squints fakes drowning to kiss Wendy Peppercorn, which is lifted from Friday the 13th when Ned kisses Brenda. He fakes drowning, does the same thing. So it's, it's a straight lift. Ends up being a, a classic movie moment. So, uh, worthy choice. Yeah, I, I, I love you know his body language. Just what he just, I can't take it anymore. Oh, you know, it just, it's just this, <laughs> yeah. this building up, and the kids are like, you know, what does he get? He can't swim, and and he he the the little looks at Wendy that he gives, and just how that uh, how how he picks his moment and. And, and, and capitalizes on it and uh, of course you know eventually goes on to marry her but that that was the move and, and he did something with it so that's great all right what was your winner so hard uh was it really this was the easiest one for me to pick come on no nah, man i didn't narrow it down because i mean the easy thing i feel like the phone in is to pick the chase at the end i feel like that's what everybody picks and 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 uh nah man I'm going with the classic sports movie scene. Rich kids versus poor, clean versus dirty, ragtag versus the Yankees, the greasers versus the socias. It's fucking great, man. The the shit talking at the beginning. (laughs) Moron, scab eater, butt sniffer, pus licker, fart smeller. (sighs) You eat dog crap for breakfast, geek. You mix your weeds with your mama's toe jam. Yeah! Like it's hilarious <laughs> and we get our league good. of their own uh you know directorial cuts with the baseball it works great the song's great it, it's awesome and we we see that hey these kids are they make a pretty good team like uh you know this ragtag ragtag group uh fits together pretty well I, no i i love it don't get me wrong it was one of my uh honorable mentions of course but it's you know to put it up there is number one i don't know i i do love the song that plays and how it's cut and even just you know 
ham talking shit, and it, it is great. It, it really is. I mean, it, it's fantastic. A fantastic choice. It, you can't go wrong with picking that one. Except for Rodriguez, you're all an insult to the game. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, such a perfect casting for the douchey little prep boy. You know, that's kind of leading them. You know, with their yeah, pristine. Yeah. I mean, that's how I would have played. Yeah. Oh, you really? Yeah. Um, yeah, I know for sure. Love that, but my winner is. Yeah, call it low-hanging fruit, call it cliche. It is what it is. It's it's iconic, and it's the chase between Hercules and Benny at the end of the film. I love the way obvious that, choice, obvious choice, but for good reason. I mean, the the when he, you know, the hype to do it, and then when he comes face to face with Hercules, and he drops the ball, and then it's got the the western type of face off, you know, good and bad and the ugly style, uh, and he takes off and the whip cracks. <laughs> It does that. It's just so memorable uh, in, in my mind. Uh, and then, the, 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 of course, the, the chase that pursues. and it, It's iconic. It, it, the most iconic scene from the film. It is. It's great. Don't get me wrong. But to me, the best part of the Sandlot is like in the middle of the movie when they're, the guy's playing on the Sandlot. Like they're a team together. Everything's going good. Like it's when they're, it's when everybody, you know, it's when everything's going good for the, the, the team. It's the best time in the movie for everybody. No fault in that. That, but that's like a big chunk of the movie. If I had to pick one scene, it's this one. It's the chase. Come on. All right, like everybody else. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's right. an obvious choice. Low hanging fruit. I, I did consider it. I bet you know because it's one. It's it added as honorable mention, but could, couldn't pick it as my favorite. I it, it had to go. Had to go with something different. Yeah, uh, understandable. I get you. Yeah, again, you can't go wrong. Uh, you had a lot of my honorable mentions as your you know, run up and winner. Um, I just had a couple more. Uh, one is when Squints tells the story of the legend of the beast. And so, in a few weeks, the pup grew into the beast. And he grew big. And he grew mean. So they protect the junkyard with only one thing on his mind. To kill everyone that broke in. And he did. And he liked it. A lot. The beast was the most perfect junkyard dog that ever lived. A true killing machine. It's comical. I always love that 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 type. It's of, a fucking kid telling a story, and telling it's the tall written tale, that yeah. way. Like it's so exaggerated. Uh, you know, it's it just it's like it's just so much bullshit. It's just it's awesome. It's yeah. it, it's so so great. Yeah, I, I, I very very much enjoy that uh, seeing that. And last one is when they're running their their schemes at the end of their covert operation to try to get the ball back, and it's the last one they do when he gets all of his Erector set pieces. It was my last chance. So we quit messing around and pulled out all the stops. I collected every piece of Erector set I had, and it finally became science against nature. And as a kid growing up, I thought that was the coolest thing when he would have the, that little car to lower down and the, and the scoop to separate and then close it. And then just the way that the music plays it, the inspiration where they're like, get it and the ball flies up into the air only to be snatched by hercules and all their their hopes and dreams subsided but just that that moment of when they think it, they're going to get it and the the links they go to to try that was very close to being my runner-up oh my god but even when they don't get it and they all scream at the same time that works so great like it's like where it just cuts to all of them screaming in unison it's awesome yeah it's it's dude every scene works beautifully that's why it's so hard to narrow these down. What were your honorable mentions? Got to give an honorable mention. Small's first attempt in the film we see to throw a baseball. <laughs> it is the worst throw committed 
to film. It's terrible. And we all have kind of made fun of it when we've kind of been trying to show that we can't do something and we just kind of, uh, and just kind of just let it drop. <laughs> it, 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 it comes from smalls here. Is Mr. Burns from the Simpsons trying to film a baseball or something? I'll exactly. tell you his problem. <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you his problem is that hat that he had. You see the bill on that hat? I mean, geez Louise. There's a great story to that hat. The, 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 the director of the film, uh, when he was growing up, they went to see their grandfather, went fishing, and their grandfather bought him and his brother those uh, fishing hats ah. and uh so the the backstory of uh of smalls was is that he came from a family of fishermen and uh, you know coming from where they were and he would have the hat gotcha okay well it still looks ridiculous but i, I see yeah it. it absolutely does even 1962 1992 93 whatever it looks no at no point was that hat hip <laughs> no benny told him to throw in a fireplace <laughs> get rid of it man yeah when ham hits the home run and they can't play ball no more. And he's just like rounding the bases, talking shit. They're just kind of hitting it with <laughs> stuff. Clubs, yeah. It's awesome. But it's also introduces us to the beast. We get our, we, we, we get our introduction there to the character and it really uh, sets the story and what would ultimately be the, you know, the big uh, uh, recovery mission for the baseball into motion. I like that. Okay. I, I, yeah. Great, great ham scene as well. Sure. And my last honorable mention is uh, the amusement park when they're uh, chewing tobacco and they get sick. I, I, I thought about including that one, but ultimately I'm like, oh, it just grosses me. I, I can relate to that. I would be, I would be spewing without the 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 chaw that you know that the, that they put in or whatever. You know, I don't need that. If you put me on that ride, the contents of my stomach are empty. Whether it's chewing tobacco or one of your friends got some beer or some whiskey and you take you try to drink it at that age and you get sick uh, most people have experienced can relate with that to some degree and uh it, it's 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 worthy of a mention it's and it's also funny as hell in the yeah. movie this shows you how <laughs> dumb they are they're kids you know they're stupid, yeah they're stupid yeah and the chewing tobacco that they were eating in the movie it was licorice and uh, bacon so i don't ugh. know how good that ugh. is but ugh. yeah you yeah. probably would make them throw up just as easily really gross all right let's move on to our best lines from the film i'll start with my runner-up very quotable line by Ham. One of the most quotable from the film. You're killing me, Smalls. That's your runner-up? That's my runner-up. Dude, that's my winner. Ooh, okay. Gotta go winner with that. That is the line I've said the most in my life from this film. Yeah. There's a couple, but by far the one I've said the most. It was a very close to being my winner just because of the high usage rate in real life. I mean, everyone that says, yeah, you're killing me, Smalls. I mean, you know that line. Everyone does. It's one of the most iconic lines in film history. So, well, what was your runner-up then? My runner-up is uh, went a little philosophical here. Uh, the the line from the Babe. Remember, kid, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Follow your heart, kid. And you never go wrong. Okay. See, I let the philosophical message get the better of me, and that one was my winner. We flipped. Well, you know the old expression. Did we just become best friends? Nope. Ah, oh, almost a double almost matchup. Almost a double matchup. <laughs> but yeah, and those are the two, I mean, those are the two front runners. Huh? Yeah, the two great lines from the film. I honestly There thought, are many that I love, though. I honestly thought we were going to have four matchups between the scenes and lines for runner-up and winner. I, I, I did. It was a candidate for sure. Yeah. And we got none. None. So... <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, just a, of course, some honorable mentions. Uh, I'll make, list a couple here. Forever. 
Forever. Forever. Yeah. I mean Forever. that. Forever. 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 Almost as iconic as you're killing me, Smalls. Everyone, or most, I would say, are from is familiar with that. That's not nearly as iconic, but it's not memorable. nearly. But also, you know, people, people, people know it. They're very familiar with it. And then um, I love it when Ham distracts the batters, which we've talked about a little already in some of our favorite scenes, especially when they do the prep game. If my dog was as ugly as you, I'd shave his butt and tell him to walk backwards. Yeah, no, Patrick Kenna was, uh, he was like the director's go-to utility actor. If he didn't have something written, he needed to figure it out. He'd be like, give me Patrick, and he'd throw him in front of the camera, and he would just throw lines at Patrick, and Patrick would just throw him right back. And it was good. So that's the, a lot of that was the director throwing uh, lines at, uh, uh, at Patrick. It was great. <laughs> he's, he crushes the role. Crushes I, again, it. Why I almost gave him the MVP? Oh, I he's, understand he's it. Right there. He's uh, right there. Last honorable mention for me is when Ham explains – how to make s'mores. These are s'more stuff. Okay, pay attention. First, you take the gram. You stick the chocolate on the gram. Then, you roast the mallow. When the mallow's flaming, you stick it on the chocolate. Then, you cover it with the other end. Yeah, me too. Then you scuffle. And it's less about the words, but more about the delivery of the actor and how he's speaking to Smalls. Like he's accepted Smalls into the group, but at the same time, he's just like, this freaking clut, this square. He doesn't know what s'mores are. There's just, it's this veiled disdain for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's technically part of the same line as you're killing me, Smalls, because he goes into the, the that, uh, rant right after right? I, I look at them as separate though you can't include them together because you're killing me smalls that exists on a stratosphere of quotable movie lines up on its own this is a sub double dip in the same moment eh, same moment yeah but different line okay no 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 fault right. in that All right. All right, what All about right. you what were your honorable mentions a great one by ham Nice. Ham's got the best lines. They're so good. And another one that I love. You bought for apples in the toilet and you like it. <laughs> that back and forth is so good with the preppy kids. It's it's, uh, it's awesome. I love it when uh, after Squints gets in trouble, uh, one of the kids go, Oh man, he's a deep shit. <laughs> it's like perfect like line delivery. Like his is it's such a good line line reading that the kid does. Yeah, they don't there's not a lot of cussing in the movie, but it's used very well uh, as far as to accent the moment that it's that Yeah, that kid actor, uh he's got another great moment after the treehouse blows up and he comes out with the dust all over him. We've been going about this all wrong. I blame myself. We need total surprise. An airborne attack. The beast will never expect it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
<laughs> he sounds like an adult. Like it's hilarious. Yeah, just the the, the wording that he uses is very mature. <laughs> As far as like his assessment of the situation after getting blasted by vacuum cleaners. Moving on to Judge Bob's recasting court, where Warren and I recast the film with today's stars. All rise for the Honorable Judge Bob presiding. Gentlemen, you may be seated. Recasting court is now in session. Looked at your notes on this one. Really looking forward to jumping into it. In recasting court tonight, we'll hear a recasting for Mr. Myrtle, Mom, Squints, Ham, Benny Rodriguez, and Smalls. Make a ticket rules puts the ball in Warren's court. And uh, Warren, who do you have cast for Mr. Myrtle? Mr. Myrtle, uh, not an easy role to, you know, James Earl Jones, uh, some pretty big shoes to fill. I wanted to go with Lawrence Fishburne, but then I've already used him this year, so it's already the limit is <laughs> is is uh, is taking effect. Uh, so I ended up going uh, settling on a Forrest Whitaker. Perfect for this has the gravitas you need. If an actor is going to come in, be in one or two scenes uh, in the third act of your film, you need an actor that could bring the goods. Forrest Whitaker up to the task. That's a great choice. Uh, um, he he elevates everything he is in. Exactly. I mean, he just makes something that could be bad or good great. Uh, and, and so much so that I actually also had him as my Mr. Myrtle. So uh, excellent choice there. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Yeah, I, I considered Fishburne. He was your Captain Ed Murphy in Lethal Weapon. I have not used him yet, so I, I did did like him. I'm going to save him, though. But yeah, my, my, uh, my choice... Had to go with uh, Forrest Whitaker. If you you can't compete with James Earl Jones, I mean, it's like you said, big shoes to fill. It's a short you list of actors. Another great actor to do it. Yeah, there's like yeah. four or five actors you can recast in this. Can't blame you there. Uh, excellent casting. Love it all around. And great news for you guys. Uh, there are six castings tonight with a tie at number six. There will be no need for a tiebreaker. Warren, the ball's still in your court. However, who do you have for mom? Okay, mom, the ideal mother. Man, every kid sh- should be so lucky to have a mom uh, portrayed like Karen Allen's uh, mom. And that's all we have is the character name, by the way, mom. That's all she's uh, called is mom. Yeah, yeah. mom. That's all, yeah. She's credited, yeah. Uh, yeah, all she's credited as, and uh, that serves the, the narrative purpose. Um, very loving, caring mother, wants what's best for her son. And, I, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'm sure just watching it, I feel like all parents can relate with that mother and how she acts. So I, got, I, I went with Elizabeth Olsen. I think she'd be perfect for it. Phil, who do you have? Uh, love Elizabeth Olsen. I mean, just saw her in WandaVision, played a great mother, a little little conflicted, let's say. But, yeah, I see where you're coming from there. Um, you know, I, I, I also, you know, agree with you in that you have to find one an actress that's just you could cast her as mom and, and just perfect for the part i went with judy greer uh maybe not a household name she did play a very motherly character in the jurassic world film she's um she was in arrested development she played a minor character there she's been in a lot of stuff a lot of voiceover work um if you've seen her in anything you know that she is great in the motherly role and when you're talking about trying to portray that on screen there's no one better well i mean guys these are great castings that we're looking at but we're in the middle of a marvel battle we have maggie from ant-man and wanda over here uh tough tough call to make that's right i am gonna tip (laughs) yeah um i after doing a little uh internet research on elizabeth olsen i do feel it's necessary to keep things in line with the current trend uh mary kate and ashley's sister a lot of people didn't know that horrible 
Absolutely horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That being yeah. said, Nod goes. <laughs> <laughs> That was probably the worst piece of internet I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, she looks exactly like those twins. Anyway, um, I got to tell you, I, I have a, a really, really, really soft spot for uh, the, the gentleness of Judy Greer. I think that as far as mom goes, I got to I, I tip the hat to Judy Greer on this one. Well done, Phil. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, she's, she's great for it. I, not the two own horn there. <laughs> Moving on to the role of Squints. Phil, who do you have? Uh, Squints, uh, Michael Squints Paladoris, uh, he is the, he's the, I guess the orator of the film, not the narrator, but the orator of the group of kids. You know, he tells the stories. He is very much the, the one that is the most animated on screen. You need a, a great actor to do that. I'm pulling out the big guns, Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, that's right. Doing it <laughs> in the Squints role in the Squints roles with Tremblay. Yeah, I mean, Smalls. <laughs> the glasses on, he's got the look. He could do it. I'm telling you, Jacob Tremblay. You're killing me, Phil. <laughs> okay. That being said, Warren, who do you have here? For squints, man, I said it on this pretty good. It, 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 it fits like a glove. Archie Yates from Jojo Rabbit. Just, just pitch perfect in that. No pun intended. And, um, uh, he's wonderful. Is, yeah, he's re- like the, the yeah recently cast in the uh, in the uh, uh, upcoming Home Alone reboot. So he he's got a bright future, and I, I he would be great. Yeah, he was like the side like it's kind of like the sidekick, the best friend in JoJo yeah. Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. Love really that. funny. All right, the nod here is going to go to Archie Yates. Warren, keep it moving. Who do you have for Ham? One of the harder ones to recast. I got to say, this guy uh, he does a lot in the movie. Um, ended up selling on Trevor Larkham. I hope I'm saying the last name right. Uh, Fresh Off the Boat, True Detective, uh, most recently uh, Thunder Force on Netflix. Uh, he's got a great comedic timing, and with Hams, you got to have the timing. Uh, just being able to nail the cadence of the dialogue. Uh, I'm going Trevor Larkham. Okay. I, I, I love that. Um, he's He is a, a fine young actor and got a bright future ahead of him. I mean, you're right. You got to have the, the, the comedy of it, especially when he's, you know, playing as the catcher and saying the things to the batters and stuff. I love that. So um, similar vein, I went with a pulled from the young Sheldon pool uh, of actors. I went with Wyatt McClure. Uh, he plays, I think it's Billy Sparks uh, in that show. He's kind of the bully, but not really a bully. Uh, he, he is kind of the, uh, the, the somewhat uh, dim. He plays dim witted in that show as far as the, but he's a great actor and I, I'm looking at the comedy side and being able to deliver that part of the Ham character. I think Ham's the most recognizable face as this movie ages. When you think back to it, it's it's all Ham. Uh, he would have been a tiebreaker sure. here if we it needed is, it. Yeah. But, I mean, this character is pivotal. It has to have every aspect to it, the look, the sound, the timing, all of those things. I also agreed with Phil on this one, giving it to Wyatt McClure. Moving on to uh, Benny Rodriguez. Phil, keep it going. Who do you have here? So the, the age group of these kids is 12 to 14. So it is difficult to cast for. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's all these kids were pretty much. Unknown. All right. Look, if you go under 17, it's fair game because it's not how old they are. It's how old they play. A lot of kids play younger because you go 18 to look younger. And especially with younger kids, you don't typically want to cast 
an eight-year-old. You want to cast an 11 or 12-year-old to play an eight-year-old. You don't want to cast, uh, 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 you know what I mean? You always cast a few years older. They're typically easier to work with the older they are. So in this instance, I think we're okay. 17 and under, I think I think it's acceptable without a DQ. Well, what I'm getting at is that, however, with the, the Benny Rodriguez character, he, he plays a little bit older. You kind of get the impression he is older than the rest of the kids, whether he's at his yeah. growth spurt sooner or whatnot. So I did I did lean on that 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 a little bit when I went with my Benny. I went with uh Miles Brown plays Jack Johnson on the television show Blackish. I would say that's what he's most known for. He's been in some movie roles as well. Very talented performer, very talented athlete as far as what he's portrayed on screen. Uh but again, biggest role has been in Blackish. You know, that show's been running forever. Um so when you're looking at the athleticism, the charisma, I mean, this is a guy that can just make you, you love him as soon as you see him on the screen. He is for lack of a better, you know, in this movie, you don't really have one protagonist. I mean, you could have smalls, but it's also Benny as well. I mean, he's a guy that you want to be best friends with. Went with him. Perfect. Warren, who do you have here? Benny, the jet Rodriguez. Uh, I settled on it pretty quickly. Uh, Initially, coming out of the gate, it did look like one of the harder characters to recast. It, it is difficult because it's like a leading man in a, in a boy's body. It's, it's not the easiest uh, character to, to, to recast here. Um, went with Jack Dylan Grazer. Uh, I love him in Shazam. He, he's probably most known from uh, It. He plays one of the, the, the main kids in the, uh, in the new It films. Oh, yeah, he's hilarious in Shazam. Yeah, he's, he's good. Yeah. But I could see him kind of, you know, being a couple years older, really uh, being able to portray the Benny character uh, for sure. On this one, uh, I love both of these. Uh, I'm going to have to tip my hat to the better argument here. There's a charisma that Benny Rodriguez plays, and I felt like, um, Phil, you tailored your argument around that a little better, so the nod is going to go to Phil on this one. Miles Brown takes it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Moving into well, the... fucking did go on long enough. Jesus. I could have made myself a sandwich. Yeah, well, he's been <laughs> yeah. learning from his brother That's for the last couple of uh, seasons. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. What, I mean, listen. I mean, you come when you're, talk, you're, you're talking to somebody with kids. I can pull from those family shows a lot easier than you can, my dude. Touche. <laughs> Moving on to the final casting of the movie, Phil. Who do you have for Smalls here? This one was the most difficult for me because I know I said earlier you don't really have a protagonist. I mean, because you're kind of rooting for all the kids. But if you had to pick one main one, it would be Smalls. That's who you journey through the movie through. You have the growth with as far as moving to a new town, you get behind him early on. So it's, it's really, it's tough to, to portray that uh, on screen. I think, especially for a child actor, uh, I went, did pull from the WandaVision pool. I went with one of her kids. I went with Jet Klein. He plays Tommy uh, in WandaVision, one of the, one of the two kids there. And if you, if you've seen him in that show and, and some other things that he's done, he has just got that, you know, for lack of a better term, like kind of that nerdish quality, but that can uh, that that can also get out there and play baseball and and have some athleticism. Not not yeah. to the level of Benny, but he can he can play both sides of it. So, have you seen? You watch? I guess you have, you've seen all of Wandavision. I mean, you're into the Marvel shows. You watch all those, yeah. I love it. Yeah, Wandavision, Falcon, Winter Soldier. Give it to me. I'll take all of it. Uh, Loki. Man. I mean, I don't even watch all the Marvel movies. I mean, you're not going to get me to watch the series, so I don't have a point of reference here. I'm sure he's great, though. He's great. For my smalls, uh, go 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 with some big guns here. Young, promising actor Alex R. Hibbert. Um, he was in uh, uh, probably probably most known for Moonlight. 
but uh, he was also in Black Panther, and he stars on the TV show The uh, The Chai on Showtime. So um, re- really great actor. He's got the range, and uh, I think he'd be great throwing him in here in the lead. I mean, if he can be the lead in Moonlight, a Best Picture winner, I'm, I'm no doubt he can uh, you know play a, a coming-of-age story here in, uh, in Sandlot. No, that's great. He's got like the the depth, like the emotion behind the eyes as far as like, I mean, he, you know, the smalls in a sense is like he, he's a little bit more mature than the other kids. He may not look at physically, but you know, there's, he's very intelligent. There's a lot going on. Uh, so that's a great choice. I love that. Looked at this one a lot of different ways, but I think that, um, I like the Alex R. Hibbert. I do. Cause again, this is a late bloomer kid. This isn't like a completely pathetic kid. Um, and there's, yeah. There, there's so much that uh, Alex... Jack Klein's not pathetic. I mean, come on. No, well, so I, I was trying to figure out the, the proper way to say it without hurting us. He has a face for the role. And I think that they would make him play like this wimpy patheticism. And there, this is a coming-of-age late bloomer story. And so I think that Jet's just his physical attributes in this role... I, I, I like the Alex Hibbert better, Alex R. Hibbert better, just, just in a sense that there's more of a coming-of-age story to be told here. And I felt like Jet was young enough. He's 11 years old, man. Uh, he, he's young enough okay. in the world that it, it just changes the dynamic yeah, a little bit. That's fair. I went a little, yeah. I, I love the casting. I do. I just, uh, I love it all. I, I just think Alex is going to bring a different layer to it in depth. And I, all that being said, uh, Phil, you're going to take this one tonight with the tie. Gives you three and Warren... Two, which makes Mr. Phil our winner. I am a golden god! A little bit closer than I thought, but I'll take it. Yeah, big surprise fucking kids movie, Phil wins. You <laughs> I was yeah. expecting to get the sweet, man. I thought I'd, I'd get, you know, for, you know, giving the movie pitch no hitter. Come on. Recasting court is adjourned. Normally, this would be fan theory time, but not a lot of fan theories for, uh, for the Sandlot, none that I could find that were, were worth anything. So I'll pivot to a, a fairly new segment where I like to look at the names of the movies of what they were released at in a foreign market. Uh, and I'll just throw out a couple ones that just were pretty funny to me. Most of uh, most other countries had it as either the Sandlot or the Sandlot kids, some direct translation of that, which makes sense. However, in uh, French Canada, uh, it was Le Petit Champ, or The Little Field, uh, which, uh, what? Okay, I guess, sure. Uh, and then <laughs> and then in France itself, it was called Le Gang des Champions, uh, in which uh, you can probably figure out, translates to The Gang of Champions. So, <laughs> I mean, if I knew... That a is a was- shitty title. A horrible title, yeah. So, like, if I it, there was a movie coming out called you know Boys of Summer, as we talked about, was the original. I, I can see that you'd be like, okay, it's a baseball movie. I can get behind that. Or you know, The Sandlot is now iconic. But if I saw a movie in theaters coming out called The Gang of Champions, that just sounds like straight yeah. butt. I would yeah. not. No, that's that's that. A, that sounds like a Broadway play. That doesn't sound like a. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, 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 you know, whoa. Uh, yeah. Don't be dissing Broadway, okay? Oh, I love Broadway. I'm not dissing Broadway. I've been to. I love Broadway. What are you talking about? I'm saying it has. It sounds more like a theater title than it does ah, a film title. Okay. The two are different. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. 
And we'll close out the episode discussing the legacy of the Sandlot. And this movie is a staple of American pop culture. It is... Yeah, uh, endured for 25 plus years and it will continue to live on the themes of the film, a coming of age story, uh, you know, a struggle of first crushes, childhood friendships, fitting in, uh, you know, being a kid during summer, getting out of your comfort zone and more or less baseball is used as a framework for those themes. Yeah, used very well. And, and, and I get why it didn't get such a great reviews at first and, and notoriety because you, you you look at the the cliche baseball aspects of the film initially, but what it does so well is the coming of age stuff is capturing the magic of that time period one and being a kid uh, two and going through those those moments with a group of friends. Yeah, I mean it defined an era for so many people's lives because of how. Uh, relatable and we've talked about that again and again it's just so universal relatable for people who grew up with friends in a neighborhood playing together uh, uh whether it's baseball or another sport or you did another activity together the, the these things uh, all transcend what they are again base baseball is just the, the the framework but that being said this is one of the best baseball movies if, if you look at the best baseball movie list the same lot is constantly on it it is. Uh, and so I think it took some of those, what were thought of as cliches or it's stealing from others. It, it It's almost claimed them for its own because it did them in the, the, the package of the whole film was, was much better than maybe some of the others. But let's be honest, there's a lot of room in the pantheon for great sports films. And this one deserves to be where it's at. I think a lot of people now, or even then gave, give it a little shit just because, you know, What's it doing that's unique? And that's just the wrong way to look at it because we didn't grow up in the 60s, you know, but we can still relate to what those kids were going through. And that in the sense that it's 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 timeless in what it brings to the table and, and the, the stories and the themes that it delivers on. Well, not only that, and well said, uh, it, it's also, for a generation, one of the highest replay value movies. I mean, you know, like The Karate Kid was in the 80s. This movie was on cable constantly. This movie was a, a movie that was rented on, on VHS, and uh, people just saw it over and over and over again. I mean, it's one of those films I have seen, if you include childhood, probably 40 to 50 times. That is not an exaggeration, and I'm not alone. There's so many people who've seen this film dozens and dozens of times. I mean, for this episode, I watched it four times. <laughs> That's how a replay value it has. Yeah, I would say you're lowballing it at 40 to 50. I mean, we watched this Might movie be higher. a ton. I mean, it, it, again, can't can't count the number of times we've seen it. It is one of those, it, it's just, you know, it's it's a popcorn movie. You just sit there and you and, and you love to watch it. You love to witnessing the moments you've seen hundreds of times before and seeing the line said it's it's great in that regards and that you can't just sit down and and take it in anytime and in honor of this episode i'm wearing my chuck taylors uh, all the kids wear chuck taylors or uh, the only kid that wears the pf flyers is benny in this movie the pf flyers were brought back for a limited time oh the really shoes okay, that make cool. any kid run faster and jump higher <laughs> yeah that that's so funny. I never had PF flyers. I didn't get the limited edition ones when it came out. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know. That's before were. our time. 
Yeah, I didn't know what they were when they showed Ben. Uh, we grew up. Air Jordans were the PF Flyers of our generation. <laughs> I mean, let's let's. Uh, yeah, PF Flyers are. I didn't even know what they were. I had to look it up. You see P, PF Flyers in the movie, but I still didn't wasn't familiar with the shoe. I just wanted them because Benny had them and they looked awesome on him. They had uh, twenty and twenty five year celebrations with the original cast in Utah, where they all get together and rehash the film, and fans come out and meet them and. Uh, they even go to like the minor league local baseball game uh, in uniforms and, 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 you know, throw out honorary pitches, have fun, take pictures. It's, oh, uh, that's cool. it's just celebrating, uh, 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 you know, what was all the actors have said, one of the greatest summers of their lives. Wow. That's awesome. Huh? We talk about how big of an impact this has had on pop culture. 90 connections with other, uh, movies and TV shows. It was spoofed in the Sandlot 2008 parody. Not familiar with that. And on the James Corden show, uh, James Corden, Anna Kendrick, and uh, Adam Devine performed scenes from uh, famous uh, sports films, and Sandlot was one of them. Ah, okay. There was like a fan-made film or something like that where people would travel to the real shooting locations and like reenact the scenes. I never watched it, but Maybe I, that's I, what it was. Okay. Yeah. It was referenced in X-Files, Frasier, Pineapple Express, Ace Ventura, Broad City, and American Dad, just to name a few. A lot more mm. references than spoofs. Oh, I, yeah, for sure. It's it's tough. To, I mean, I could see some spoofs, but yeah, referencing it as far, especially the quotes would be. Yeah, and rehashing the quotes in their films. Like, you're yeah. telling me Smalls, I'm sure, has been uh, paraphrased many, many times in other movies. Given the success uh, and the you know, cult status of it, I, not a surprise there have been a couple sequels both direct to video. Uh, the first one you mentioned earlier, the Sandlot two, as it was called, uh, when did that come out? 2005, 2005, 12 years after the original, no original cast members were in it. Uh, No, the one original cast member that did reprise his role, James Earl Jones, was actually in the Sandlot too. Oh, I'm, that's you know what I mean. You got to bring <laughs> back some of the kids. You got to bring back a couple of the kids, have them be the parents or a coach or something. Yeah. Well, David Mickey Evans did direct, as also as you mentioned, uh, and then the uh, the second one, which uh, was that one, two thousand five. The second sequel, the third the Sandlot sequel. film, the second the third sequel. Sandlot, the correct. Sandlot heading home in two thousand and seven, two years after Sandlot two, yes. which came out in two thousand and five. Like you said, also to direct a video. Uh, I've not seen either one of those films. As far as I'm concerned, they don't exist. So real quick, uh, The Sandlot Heading Home starred Luke Perry. He gets knocked out. He plays a arrogant baseball player in 2005, I think. Gets knocked back to 1976. Yeah, it's one of those films where he has to relive his childhood and like become a better person, learn a lesson, blah, 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 help save The Sandlot. Uh, Cha- uh, Chauncey Leopardi does return as Squints in that film though. So that one hmm. did have one of the uh, original actors return granted a little bit older since it was, you know, uh, 14 years later. And uh, Fox announced a prequel film in 2018, but after the Disney Fox merger, when Disney basically bought Fox, uh, now they have a Disney plus series with the original cast in the works. So, you know, with the Disney approach, let's bring back all the old actors for nostalgia purposes and also give the new uh, reboot credibility. They, well, they, they're doing that with the Mighty Ducks. They did Mighty Ducks Game Changers. It just came out on Disney Plus, And you know what? It's surprisingly good. I'll just say it, it is not D2. Uh, D2. Uh, Come on, well, that's, I think they it, took man. a they took a page. It definitely feels a little Cobra Kai-ish. And if you go and watch it and you see Emilio Estevez's character in it, which that's not a spoiler. He shows up in the first episode. He's got a little Johnny Lawrence, a little jaded, like, get the hell out of here 
vibe to him. Smart um, approach. But yeah, like for his Gordon Bombay. It's good show though. I, I would recommend it. It's, but I, Gordon Bombay was like that in the first Mighty Ducks. He didn't want nothing to do with that shit. <laughs> well, I mean, but yeah, he kind of he he that character changes. Well, now it's kind of changed back. It's basically devolved all that 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 growth. Yeah. Lastly, have to mention this just because of how big of an impact on Hollywood it had. There was a lawsuit against David Mickey Evans, a former classmate. His name is Michael Polydoros. Uh, he was the real-life inspiration for Michael Paladoris. I, I don't see any type of you know connection there at all. No, 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 uh, no similarities in the name. Anyway, moving on. Um, that person who, who was the inspiration for Squint said that the film had caused him, quote, embarrassment and humiliation and was suing uh, for his, his usage of you know, uh, taking parts of a real person for a film. Uh, the judge, of course, ruled in uh, the favor of, of the filmmakers uh, and even got uh, thrown out of an appeals court. But had that gone through, that could have had a real impact on Hollywood not being able to use uh, real life people, pull pull parts of them for for films. So it could have could have really affected the movie making. Could industry. have had some lasting implications. Yeah. Really did. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that Sandlot was a movie that, that centered around this uh, was was a big deal. Uh, but it all worked out, and you know, I, I can see maybe that guy did get some some embarrassment, but especially you're killing me and all that. I know that's not the smallest character, but you know, as far as well, no, the, but those th- kind of things set precedent for other movies in the industry, and uh, probably the biggest example of that in terms of impact would be the interview when Sony was going to pull it because of the North Korea reaction. That would have set a very bad precedent for studios to allow a third world nation dictator to, to censor our, our films, uh, a satire film at that. I mean, that says a lot about, uh, you know, fucking North Korea. But that being said, this court case had some serious implications uh, for future films. So it's definitely worth pointing out. Yeah, just kind of crazy. It was it all came from the sandlot of all movies anyway. And Roger Ebert of Chicago Sun-Times summed it up best when he said, quote, These days, too many children's movies are infected by the virus of winning, as if kids are nothing more than underage pro-athletes, and the values of Vince Lombardi prevail. It's not how you play the game, but whether you win or lose. This is a movie that breaks with that tradition, that allows its kids to be kids, that shows them in their insular world of imagination, dreaming that children create entirely apart from their adult domains and values, unquote. That is going to do it for this episode of Replay Value. Thank you so much for listening. The Replay Value podcast is hosted by me, Philip Reinerson, and my brother, Warren Paul. Our recasting judge is Bob Thompson. Produced, edited, and directed by Waldo Pickles Productions and dedicated to our father, who we have to thank for our love of cinema. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you love what you hear, take the time to rate, review, and share with a friend. You can visit us on our website, replayvaluepod.com, and follow us on Twitter at replayvaluepod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every other Tuesday, and we'll see you then. Bye! This has been a Waldo Pickles production. 